0: listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam Territory in Vancouver. And he, this is the um, Arts Report, and I'm Lua, and I'm taking care of the controls and stuff today again. And hopefully I won't mess up like I did last time.
1: Lua, <laughs> <laughs> I've been having that hope for quite some time. We all die trying to get it right, as Vance Joy once said. And I think he said that. That was the name of one of the songs, so I'm assuming he said it at some point. And it's how you can credit somebody with that is kind of amazing, you know? We've seen some amazing shows, speaking of which, both here and uh, in some other venues, because March is really quite a pretty happening theater season, as the case may be.
0: Yeah, it's really busy. Really, really busy for us. We wish we could go to everything, but... You know, unfortunately, have to miss out on a few things, yeah, which makes is. me really sad. But at the same time, you know,
1: it's actually really interesting looking at our programs right now because one of our programs is in green; it's a program for Gold Rush and the other one is in red, and that's well, that's Red Patch at the Arts Club.
0: Oh, okay. Now <laughs> I can hear. You. <laughs> Sorry, just testing out the mic sound.
1: <laughs> I can't hear it in the headphones either. So. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> got um, me scared for a one second. One of us needs to hear. That's that's that's. Uh, as long as we got that, then we're we're sitting pretty. So, we yeah. want to talk about Goldrush or Red Patch.
0: Let's talk about Goldrush, because we talked, to, we had an interview, right? Yes, with- we
1: did. Yep, with my friend Matthew Rhodes, uh, who is playing, well, actually an actor in the... Okay, so when we explained Goldrush during the interview, uh, the explanation was kind of odd. Hold on a second, let me just check my levels. Just that mic! Um, when we uh, talked about it, though, I think there was something of a... A small joke about the uh, the degrees of the of of media going into this because Gold Rush is a play about the making of a film based on a book.
0: wait <laughs> a, a play <laughs> about the making of a film based on a book. so the book yeah. is about making a movie, and then they made a play. okay, cool. nope, no, no,
1: nope. Nope, so the book is about a German man going to California and the play is written by a Chilean in German and then translated into English and the bu- and the, the play is about a movie being made of a book.
0: Oh, okay, wait, so In the uh, book down
1: in the valley. Oh, ho oh, oh, ho the Ratlet's start.
0: Okay, so wait so the book is not about movies or anything, but the play is about making a movie out of the book. Yes. Okay. Yep. That's cool. the <laughs> <laughs> That was yeah, hard.
1: <laughs> the staging on this is quite actually quite uh, fun with that because uh, the, the, the fellow making the film Oscar, played by Karthik Kadam, who is a lot of fun to watch because he's basically playing Llewellyn Sinclair from The Simpsons. Um, you know, I've directed three plays in my career and I've had three heart attacks. That's how much I care I'm planning for a fourth imagine that character but like an actual like in an, as an art house filmmaker essentially and that's um the tone of the film segments and uh, math so so matt plays this sort of long-suffering actor friend of his who's getting roped in which I, I I just do want to say I can kind of relate to that. Like, it, there was a couple of times where some shows I've been in, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, this kind of does uh, resonate with me a little bit. This character's name is Alexander. And Alexander is playing Zutter, who is the German immigrant who went to America, made and lost a fortune, and uh, furnished the story for the novel, essentially. A sort of tragic story. Uh, separated from his wife uh, by his travels, and eventually he and his wife go back and are found on the banks of the Rhine, uh, or find themselves on the banks of the Rhine. Okay, because
0: I was like, do they they were found like dead
1: or? Well, probably, but that's not in the book. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> and it turns out the two actors, so Alexander and Greta, that's Matt and uh, Tebo Nzeku, uh, were are semi-replaced in filming by actors who. Um, are, uh, have been actors in different kinds of movies, if you get what I mean.
0: <laughs> what he means is they're di- porn directors. <laughs> Actually, yes. yes that's, what I mean. that's, what, that's, that's what he means. <laughs>
1: and, and that is, does provide a very, uh, entertaining scene with, uh, cause they're originally brought in, I believe, as, well, I won't spoil it too much, but they start as body doubles and then realize that they were brought in for a little more than that. But the, way this is staged is so that you see the set, like, everybody's got the boom and so forth. You have Oscar primarily holding the camera, and then you have projections of what he's filming, which are a lot of very, like, tight close-ups with a lot of very dramatic zooms on random moments. Oh,
0: I see. So it's like you get the play, but you also kind of get the movie. You do. You oh, get the movie fun. he's
1: making. Wow. Okay, right. nice. And it's just, like, very... Very dramatic zoom. Very odd line reading. Like, Johannes Augustus. Johannes Augustus. Johannes Augustus. That happens about six times. And they just keep repeating that name? Yeah, there's a lot of words that are... There's a definite theme of repetition uh, in uh, a lot of words, a lot of phrases. uh, Especially uh, uh, profanity warning. Uh, A lot of the times they go like, shit. like It's sort of almost like a leitmotif. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's very interesting how that kind of punctuates the play because it really does. Um, and almost all of the play is centered on this day of filming where the l- sort of layers of there's because there's so many layers in play get kind of uh, pulled apart in very bizarre ways. And then the ending of it is uh, them at uh, them essentially presenting the film. Uh, as part of an interview panel, and I I, I do want to say this I, I feel like I'm focusing on mass performance a little bit because he's my friend, but one thing he has an, a really great moment of reaction when they actually realize what kind of person Zuter was in the interview.
0: Oh wait, Zuter is the director? No, the actor. The
1: subject of the book. Oh, okay. Who he's playing, and there's this like, it there's very tense pause. Posi- yeah!
0: <laughs> oh, that's what you do.
1: <laughs> Realize, like, just realizing that. And that that is, uh, that's quite entertaining. And the, the play itself is kind of random, the way it's set up. Rather like this review. Um, I do joke, but the, the play is, I think, deliberately quite hectic and um, layered, but not structured, if that makes sense. There are, throughout, several country and western music numbers. Um, as what? some, as I, I actually know a lot of these songs, there's like uh together again, there's uh let's get drunk and screw by Jimmy Buffett, <laughs> which, uh, I, I had not heard in a while. Uh, and considering Jimmy Buffett's made more money than I ever have in my life, I feel like might be one of the more absurd elements of this show. Hmm. And then there's a, a theme of stand by your man by Tammy Wynette, uh, Including a version sung in Italian
0: of a song that's originally in English. Yeah,
1: yeah. Stand by your man. That's that's kind of wrong. Um, that that's in. If you've seen the movie Blues Brothers, that's the song they win over the the country bar with. Yeah. But anyway,
2: <laughs> love that song.
1: <laughs> it's it's like uh, I actually do. There's there's like it's a very of its time song. Yeah. It, lyrically, but. Tammy Wynette was a really you know the first line one of the first lines of that song is it it's hard to be a woman uh, it was hard being Tammy Wynette like she did not have a fun time <laughs> for like <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah yeah she's you know uh like, r- like raised in like a- abject poverty, constantly afraid of failure uh, married to George Jones. Which, uh, of, those, include, of her, those things, including a severe addiction to prescription painkillers, was probably the low point, because George Jones was kind of a scumbag. But that comes across. She had the teardrop in her voice. That's kind of, in the, in the singing of it, though, these numbers are kind of almost, uh, they're, they're, they're song and dance numbers, but there's almost this sort of campfire song aspect to them. And it's very interesting when the Italian version pops up, because that is sung by Hannah Everett, who plays Marlene, one of the uh, adult actors, brought in. And it's basically a torch song. And it's actually quite interesting as to how that's portrayed, because I, you know, io parlo un po' italiano, So, I was... Look at him
0: showing himself off. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Un po', un po'. But it's it's interesting, because to change the... to get the rhyme scheme right, they changed the lyrics, so I didn't recognize the song. Oh, I see. Which is probably a comment on my fluency. But, um... uh they uh, it's it's very interesting how that comes across because it's a very it's a focal point when she sings it and it's also the only point when the the number is sung without uh choral accompaniment
0: oh and so like do they have like a uh, a band or something that accompanies them or like is it's are they playing and it's singing? it's a
1: it's a it's a recorded track and they're oh, singing to it i i would say these are well there's actually points where they have the karaoke screen on there with the words filling in which i thought was pretty interesting and there's a, uh, yeah, like, uh, how best to, to iterate? Because they're, they're talking to an extent about American identity. They're talking to an extent about identity in general. Because there's also Mexican music in it uh, that is uh, untranslated. Same, so there's huge plays on translation, on language, on the many degrees this play went through, including the degree of translation that UBC Theater conducted to get, take it from German to English.
0: Wow. So it was originally... So, who translated it? Do they already have the translation version or did someone here at UBC translate it? You
1: know, I should be able to tell you that off the top of my head, but let me just take a second here. I do believe that it was uh, specially commi- that there was a special effort to translate it because I don't know if it was performed in English before this. I believe this is its, en- uh, its English language debut because they've been in contact with Guillermo Calderón, uh, the guy who wrote this. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting because Guillermo Calderón speaks fluent English. He's been working in the U.S. for. Long time, like he's raised in Chile, but he did, has done a lot of his work in America.
0: So he's like fluent in three languages, and he decided to write it in German, which is usually the language that people don't really associate with either song or just like I don't know, like I don't understand, I don't associate German like the language, the The German German language, though. What,
3: like back in the Romantic period, the German lead. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't know the words to this, but we all do know the tune. So yeah. let's yeah. all forgive me no, that. I just
0: I don't know. Like every time yeah. I think about German, I don't think about German as in like a poetic language. You know, like I might be wrong, but I don't know. I just like it's just so harsh, and there are so many like. A deep throat <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah okay yeah
0: you like, usually like throat sounds like they're like down here instead of like yeah I they feel don't count like, out like easily i think
3: they do p- have like a different collocation to like yeah. i don't know english or other languages like spanish or like any other romance languages for that matter
1: so many compound words too mm-hmm. yeah and it's, i mean i think that would actually help like you can do interesting things with that except you have some words that have the same syllable count as small English sentences.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's
3: true.
1: Yeah, it's nice. It is just. You mind the like I'd love to learn German. Like maybe it's <laughs> because. That uh, mean again? I think
3: I used to know what that. No, that
1: that's like a philosophical concept or something. Yeah, There's exactly, a lot of philosophical exactly, concepts exactly that are named right. for German things. Well, it's funny. We were talking about Hegel before yeah. this, and we're talking about Hegel is like a really influential philosopher for a lot of things. But he's hard to read in English because he wrote badly in German. <laughs> <laughs> and you end up with these sentences that are just almost psychedelically incomprehensible. And it's really interesting that you have people like Alexander Kojève who put their entire life into reading Hegel. Who could probably say, yeah, this small passage, we're going to work with this. Because I think if you try to deal with the whole of Hegel, you're basically beating yourself over the head with a 500-odd page volume.
0: <laughs> I don't know uh, That maybe that's just me because I don't know German unfortunately it's like the one language I do want to learn um, but oh, I don't think cool. I'll ever have the talent to learn it because I don't think I'll ever be able to do the it's definitely yeah, a like, difficult language yeah. like, for sure
1: it's similar to English though Like it's, okay, it's I fairly, guess it's, I, it's, I learned English pretty well yeah. so maybe Apparently quite <laughs> easy for English speakers to learn German actually interesting in light of this because well the passage I read on um on the show for matt matt's character read that in the um in the play and it's very interesting to think about that because this was translated again from from german to english so that passage would have been comprehensible to the people watching the play originally but it is deliberately not so and the joke is that after that eric the other pornographic actor who is extremely multilingual and extremely intelligent follows it up with the original French line oh the book was originally in French too so that's another layer added
0: oh Oh my god so the book was originally in French Mm -hmm. and then this guy from Chile uh, decided to write it in German as a play about making a movie from a book based on the book but the book doesn't talk about a movie yeah. And then it was translated now
1: into English. <laughs> yep. Used <Mr>. it worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> quite literally. <laughs> and it's real it really is amazing and it is very interesting to see how it does that. It's really hard to summarize um the show. I, I would recommend seeing it because it is quite entertaining. There's a lot of cringe comedy to it. And there's a lot of very uh very evocative lines in, in that respect, a lot of good setups. A lot of these scenes, especially like if you've worked on film, like c- capture that because I've worked as an extra and like in crew for movies, and a lot of that is like, has anybody else here done that? No, that I'm I producing <laughs> and it can be fun. A lot of it is hurry up and wait, and a lot of it is keep doing this over and over again yeah. because like doing the take over and over again, you got to set up, you have to take things down. you have to if you're in the crew, you have to make sure mics are in the right place. If you're an extra, you just do the same thing and don't move your hands because the camera picks that up. If you do so, I, I I screwed up an entire take because of that. Oh, oh my God. Um, that's a lot of pressure. And yeah. that's what I couldn't help but notice because a lot of the cast for this has uh, no scripted lines because they're the crew, but they have lines in the background where you can kind of tell they're taking the piss out of the actors and the director. Oh, and okay. it's kind of interesting because oh. they're around it, but they're left out of the film, and you can see that when the film's projected.
0: This is so interesting to me because, like, um I don't know, like all of this meta linguistics and like the this is with meta um, like, the play <laughs> like I love it, i like I really want to watch it now because I don't know it's literally what I'm came to college to study <laughs> like I came to university to study media, and the fact that like it's really hard to do something like that and do it well, and the fact that you enjoyed it is like speaks tons about it you know
1: there's there's a lot to this i I do think that uh so Jenny Larson directed this, and I, and her idea of how to put this together, does emphasize um, a, a huge difference between mobility and stasis. There's a lot of that, because pe- the set is moved around quite a bit. Uh, and I think that's very interesting in light of how mutable and weird this play is in presentation, because like I said, it's layered, but it's not structured. So it's hard to summarize. The plot is more of a concept, and there's a lot of these layers just kind of interacting with each other in these weird and often uncomfortable moments. A lot of which are quite funny. <laughs> so I would say, yeah, check it out. It runs until the 30th. It's at Freddie Wood. It's got a great cast. Uh, I don't know why I'm talking like this, but hey, it was, it was really good. Ironically, this is one of the few accents that doesn't appear in this play.
0: Okay, <laughs> right. so now we're going to take a quick break, a quick Adam and PSA break, mm-hmm. and we will be back to talk about Red Patch.
1: Which appears to be a little less zany. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: The Crane Library? is looking for student volunteers to record textbooks for those who cannot use print at the university. If you're a UBC student who is computer literate with an ability to read university material aloud and you have a willingness to learn new techniques, we ask for a two-hour commitment once a week. For additional information and to set up an edition, call 604-822-6114 or email crane.volunteer at ubc.ca. So, Red Patch. Yes. Now, Sarah, so you were, you two saw Red Patch. I really wanted to see it, but I could not make it out.
2: You should. It runs until the 31st of this month, so you still have time. Okay, cool.
1: And it's, to my understanding, kind of Three Day Road, the play.
2: Can you elaborate on that? Three Day
1: Road (laughs) is a great book by, um, I think it's by Joseph Boyden, who is not doing too well. Uh, these days, but it's a book about uh, snipers in the First World War who are uh, indigenous, and they, uh, well, I, I'm just going to spoil it because it, this is a really tragic and it's a really mm-hmm. beautiful book, but they, they get addicted to morphine.
0: Mm. Uh, uh, no, it's not.
1: Among other things, but they, they're not treated very well. And uh, the comment on veterans' treatment, but it's also especially when... Mm-hmm.
0: So the thing about Red Patch, it is they were actually selling the... Okay, first thing that I do do want to highlight about Red Red Patch is that this is the first production from Hardline Productions, uh, which is a company in residence at the Arts Club. And this was the first production ever. And it's a company in residence that is focusing on real human experiences and raising those voices that aren't usually heard which is why they decided to start with red patch which tells the story of a world war one indigenous canadian veteran which is not something that most people think about first with um world war one and canada being involved and second with like indigenous peoples uh, being part of the war as well and so that's the one thing i do want to say because um as their first production I was really impressed. It was a really intense play. It was. But, But and I'm still trying to process if I liked it or not. (laughs) It
2: was a nice type of intense, I feel like, because I really liked it. Um, As a person. Did you
0: cry this time?
2: uh, I did tear up. I didn't (laughs) cry full on, but I did tear up multiple times. Um, And one um, thing that I want to mention is there are six people in the cast, and all of them are indigenous um, so they, I mean, not the, cha- not all of the characters are, I mean, there's a French person in French character. There's an American character.
0: There's there's um, a guy from Winnipeg.
2: Yeah, there's a guy <laughs> from Winnipeg. Uh, but all, all of these the, exotic yeah, nationalists. <laughs> <laughs> all of the, um, actors are, um, First Nations. So, and the reason they say that the reason for this is because this particular production should highlight the work of some Canada's most talented Indigenous indigenous artists. So I feel like this is something worth mentioning.
0: So basically, it tells the story of Half-Blood. He's never really named throughout the play, um, except for Half-Blood. Yeah. uh, Because apparently his dad was white and his mom was Indigenous, so his friends started calling him Half-Blood.
2: No, his name. Oh, his actual his, name. His actual means name, okay. name means
0: Huffball, yeah. Yeah, and um, and it tells a story about, like, it goes into flashbacks and then present, and the present is during the war, and you're, like, pulled into this moment of, like, a lot of visual, like, a lot of sound effects, a lot of smoke, um, yeah. a lot of really well-placed choreography. And then it kind of pulls you back every once in a while to these moments in his childhood where um, he is in a residential school and uh, or he's with his grandmother in not in the residential school at his home. And these different moments of like why he went he wanted to go to war. Why did he was he so obsessed with the idea of becoming a hero, a warrior, you know, and it's very emotionally
2: it is. It, um, there's a lot, yeah. There's a lot to take in,
0: and um, also uh, what I think I found really interesting about Red Patch is that their combination of choreography, like dance and acting mm-hmm. and, and play, like because it's not a musical, it's not anything. That's no, actually yeah. what something Sarah and I joked about is like, oh, we're gonna see a musical with no songs. <laughs> like that's great, because <laughs> the best part is dancing anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> I
1: was gonna say if this was a musical. That 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 would go to a certain place. <laughs> would have been
2: pretty sad musical,
0: yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's they use a lot of dance and a lot of music, but not really that much singing. Uh, a lot of yeah, marching, no. which is really interesting mm-hmm. because they choreographed the marching to actually look like dance. Yeah, and something that bothered me a little bit is not that the actors weren't dancers, and I could tell that they weren't dancers. <laughs> from a dancer's eyes yeah (laughs) (laughs) but then again that's not something that's gonna bother most people yeah and i only notice these things because it's like you notice a dancer based on like very very tiny 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 movements that it's like it's more a matter of energy than actually what you're doing yeah and some people have the energy and some people don't and some people that have danced for years are still not dancers you know Mm -hmm. it's it's really something that you have to be really passionate about, which is why I also don't blame, like, put it against them because it's still a great play regardless.
2: Yeah, they did. They did a really good
3: job,
0: and that's something that bothered me. And Sarah's also a dancer, and she <laughs> yeah. wasn't bothered by yeah. it. Yeah, I'm a human,
3: or a we dancer.
1: <laughs> I, I appreciate the line. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about the killers a lot lately. Now. <laughs> yeah. With uh, with red patch, I do have to ask, where does the title come from?
0: Uh, because uh, during World War One, um, in the trenches, it got to a point where they couldn't identify anymore who was from where, uh, well. and so all Canadians had to wear a red patch on the side of their uniforms to identify that they were part of the Canadian Army that was helping, yeah. and that's where it comes from. Um, where he has to wear the red patch throughout the throughout his fighting. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that, too. It was very informative. Like, I was... learned a lot of things about mm-hmm. World War One and, like, trench warfare. Like, mm-hmm. the the gases and the no-man's lands and, like, yeah. all of that. Because they do go into the his- very historical aspects. And actually, outside the theater, they had a World War One history book open. And, like for anyone who wanted to, like, check facts, you know, like, (laughs) check, take a look, uh, like, take a look a a little bit deeper, you could also do that, and so, yeah, Yeah. and the thing is, what's really impressive, that's what really set um, Half-Blood apart from everyone else, was that he was the one person that would go every single night into no man's land, and if you're not familiar with World War One history, mm-hmm. no man's land was basically the stretch of land between the trenches, which um, you basically couldn't walk on without being shot. So people would be in the trenches all day, every day, all night, just live in those trenches and have their guns pointed towards no man's land. So mm-hmm. if you ever tried to leave your trench and go into the other side, um, you would most almost definitely get shot. But uh, half blood in the play um, left his trench every single night to go into no man's land and um, kill the enemy force. Yeah,
2: yeah, he killed over sixty people by himself. Well,
1: and that's a huge. Well, one thing over ninety people. Ninety people. Yeah, because every for every kill, oh, he yeah, yeah, started yeah, yeah, marking right. his shovel. And then eventually, just has a tiny piece of wood at the end. No, it's <laughs> like a mark, like a like a like a
0: just a scratch. Yeah, just a scratch. And yeah. by the end of it, the entire thing is covered. Um, oh, is he
1: using the shovel to kill them? Or? Yeah, he yes. is. Oh, it's okay. His,
0: like, In the beginning, because it got it gets to a point where it's like, use your guns. But then
1: it it's noise.
0: it's world it was world not only that, but it's like. Then we're out of powder. They are wet. Because in the trenches, everything was muddy and wet. Yeah, they didn't afford uh, like, that. Yeah. Time. So, like, they're wet. Oh, use the the, the knife on top. The bayonet. Of the bayonet. Or, like, oh, you can't because it got lost or whatever. Yeah. And it's, like, always have your shovel with
1: you. That's the, your most important tool. And then had an edge to it, right? Yeah. Because the British Army made bayonets that looked like swords so that people could use them. But they were too heavy to put on the ends of the guns. And the swords useless because it's too long, so they gave a bunch of people useless weapons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They gave Canadian soldiers guns that wouldn't fire.
0: Oh, great. (laughs) We had had
1: things called the Ross Rifle, which is actually a really well-made rifle, except for one problem. Uh, It doesn't do mud. Oh... You know what there's a lot of entrenched warfare <laughs> but they were like really good sh- but there was a lot of really good shots and that comes up in 3 Day Road because the Ross rifle is actually re- really precise so they had the people like cuz what he's doing is like going across and killing people with a shovel and a lot of times what people would get killed were snipers because they would shoot across the trenches there's a, uh, an author HH H. Monroe is known as Saki. He was a British author. He was actually proto-fascist, and he fought in the First World War because he thought it was a better alternative to socialism. But his last words, he was 44 when he signed up too, so he actually had to pull strings to go to the war that killed him. His last words are, put that cigarette out. Because what snipers would look for is the light of matches or a lit cigarette. Now, the sniper couldn't see the guy smoking, but heard the guy and shot him in the dark. Oh, my God. Damn. So that was how tense it was, because the slightest spark or the slightest sound could get you shot from over a mile away.
0: And that's actually, like, the sniper does do come in towards the end of the yeah. play. Um, but the thing about this, the entire play, is that you are going on a path, and you think you understand his path and why he made the choices to be there. And all of a sudden... There is this reversal, complete reversal of roles. And you start questioning everything that you've seen up to that point. Where there, it's like all in his head. If it's real, if he can continue, if he should not. And it just becomes very intense and very confusing at the same time. But confusing in a good way where you're intrigued about what's going to happen next. Because every assumption that you made up to that point is turned upside down it's literally turned upside down when you find out this one thing that I don't want to spoil Yeah, no, (laughs) no, you
2: should go and see it and be shocked by it because it was shocking to both of us I also wanted to point out when we were talking about the fact how like right the facts are in the play and all that there are two playwrights and um, it took them six years to write this play it says on the the booklet because they were researching and developing and they wanted to get everything right and they even went like went on many adventures so which is I mean six years a lot of time to write a play and which is why I feel like this is really good they they dedicated a lot of time and effort to it
0: everything is very well thought out even the gas masks that they make um, because it is dealing with indigenous, like an indigenous person um, they transform the gas masks to actually look like uh, like, the traditional style of indigenous masks Interesting. Yeah. so even that and then there's also the motif of animals uh, specifically the crow um, oh. kind of like following him throughout his entire journey where the crow also symbolizes his grandmother and his heritage and um, there's that discussion between um, do they respect me because they fear me or, or do they respect me like do they see me will they always see me as an inferior and they only treat me well because they fear me or do they really respect me as a person because he was so good at you know doing his job being the killer being the warrior that yes he was getting a lot of recognition but at the same time he thought that that recognition all came from fear while someone, like, one of his friends was like, no, 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 they respect you as a person. They see you as, like, their leader. And they were like, he was like, no, you're, that's in your head. They will never see me as your equal. You know?
1: That's it. It is. Tragic realization. No, yeah. <laughs> we're all kind of quiet because there's <laughs> just so much to take in.
2: Yeah.
0: And it is. And um, the accents, though, I will say it, uh, <laughs> the accents really – I don't know. There was one of the main characters who has a Scottish accent and I it love Scottish accents. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> Pretty great, yeah. And yeah. It, uh, beca- the thing is, she also plays multiple different characters and not all the characters have the Scottish accent. And then she actually, this play begins and she's the grandmother. And then all of a sudden, she develops the Scottish accent being the uh, uh, MacGinty, which is Mac-ginty, the, yeah. the, surgeon, the sergeant. the well, Sergeant McGinty. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, Okay,
1: <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> that was That's uh, and, uh, makes you think. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. You could think McGinty would be with the Newfoundland Regiment. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, Newfoundland had a separate regiment for that. Um,
2: part. two of the actors were um, women portraying male characters. Not
0: three of them. The sergeant. Oh yeah, the sergeant
2: too. them bim. Yeah, and um.
0: Di- the the guy from uh, Dicky the Dickie, guy from yeah. Winnipeg, but not the then because it's like Dicky the guy from Winnipeg, <laughs> yeah.
2: But he isn't actually from Winnipeg, right? He's from
0: no, he's from Winnipeg. But um because he repeated so much that he was from Winnipeg, the sergeant was like, no, "No, no, from now on, you're from Sus was Sus- Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan. How Saskatchewan. do Saskatchewan you <laughs> province,
1: not a city." It yeah, was yeah. Yeah. S- S- yeah same or, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can see it's like. not even the province it? <laughs> it just doesn't
0: no because she was like no no Does from in, like, now on, on, anything on talks, like, if oh, anything yeah, talks if anyone talks about anything about this place you're from this it concerns you yeah <laughs> like if they talk about cows it concerns you if they talk about pigs it concerns you the... <laughs> I assume it was a very rural place I wouldn't know I'm not from Canada <laughs> yeah but it was still funny <laughs> it was very funny yeah
1: Unimpeg is the most rural place that has a symphony and an opera house. Um, that's interesting. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's fairly, a great fun
3: <laughs> yeah. Yes. It um,
1: is. Okay. All right.
0: And we're going to go on our second PSA break. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm not going to mess this up again. <laughs>
1: Discorder, that free magazine from CITR, has been documenting the best in music, arts, and culture since
3: 1983.
1: Let's see what one man of prestige has to say about Discorder. What up, dawg? This is Big Snoop Dogg, and I fucks with
3: Discorder magazine. How about that?
2: (laughs) Smokey every
0: day. Pick up a copy around Vancouver or f with Discorder online at
1: discorder.ca.
0: Hey, Will, I was kind of thinking that I might want to write, like, stuff for a magazine, dude. You know you can do that at CITR and Discorder, right? What? Yeah, you can review live shows where you get in for free, or music and books and stuff that's coming out, or do write-ups on artists and local issues for Discorder magazine. That's sick, bro. Yeah, just email volunteer at citr.ca and they can help you get started or just come into the station whenever. Dude, I totally will.
1: We have one listener. <laughs>
0: Hello, guys! I'm back, and everyone else is also back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we have returned.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: and right now we're gonna. Welcome. Yeah, do you want to introduce what you're gonna talk about? <laughs>
3: oh, I'm. I'm gonna talk about Birds of the Passage. So, um, it's this movie uh, directed by um, Colombian uh, Ciro Guerra, and the it's it. I don't know if like people have like actually heard. About it, but um, if you know the the movie Roma, like that was nominated to the Oscars. Yeah. Like this one was like kind of like a rival for the for the foreign movie category. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, they were kind of like back to back, but I guess Roma is also really
1: really good. So but Roma, Roma
0: is amazing. Like yeah. I cried my eyes out watching like, Roma.
1: Powerful emphasis on uh, Latin American historical features.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: it's great. From the middle of the century.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: About the middle of the century, rather.
3: Yeah, actually, this one is a uh, focus in like the late '60s to '70s. Uh, the movie ends in around like 1980, like it's framed like around that time, and uh, it's based on well, the characters are mostly Wajú. Uh, Wajú uh, are there's this there are these indigenous people from uh, the Guajira, which is this. I guess you call I guess I guess in Canada you call it province. In like Colombia they're called departments.
1: In uh, so like a regional area, like far yeah. away from anything major or
3: No. W- La Guajira is like like the northest part of Colombia and it's mostly like desert.
2: Oh, oh is okay. it like a state? Sorry?
3: Is it like a state? You said departments, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, so it's, like, yeah, like, it's like a state.
3: Province. Okay, That's yeah. why I said yeah. it. yeah, I guess you yeah, yeah, yeah. provinces. But yeah. Um so they like their territory is like located there mm-hmm. um so it's very in the north and um, a little south from there uh, there is there's like the sierra which is mm-hmm. like um it starts being more like that it's not a desert mm-hmm. anymore kind and of. in around this so it's around it's like a tropical like rainforest kind of land mm-hmm. and um in around the 60s and 70s there was this time called the uh, the Bonanza Marimbera, which uh, literally... Sounds fun. <laughs> it sounds fun, <laughs> but, like, um, it refers to the time in which um, there was a lot of, like, <laughs> marijuana trading. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <and>, um, <laughs> Exporting and all Damn. that jazz. So, uh, the story in the movie is... The movie is mostly, like, um, a... <laughs> what's this called? Um, it's... like it's like it's not like a mafia story exactly but it does like it does have to do with this like really interesting like latin american like point of view of it i guess if you say mafia you think of like
1: but it is kind of a crime story
3: (laughs) but it is kind of a crime story for sure it's
1: it's interesting because they started by (laughs) catering to tourists right Like, with a lot of it, like, how it started getting big because you had backpackers Mm -hmm. coming in. Like, you can hook me up with some groovy marijuana.
3: Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Like, the depiction, you can just see the people, like, oh, yeah, they're supposedly with the Peace Corps, but they were really looking for, like, weed.
1: I mean, come on, if we started judging the Peace Corps for that, I mean, give give me a break here. That'd be like judging Greenpeace for actually the exact same thing. Green. Wow.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, so anyway, um, there's this, like, a, the the Wayyus have, like, their different clans, and there's this one clan that has, like, a lot of prestige, which is, like, the, uh, the one that, like, the, all the protagonists, like, go around, and, um, well, there's this, there's this guy that wants to marry, like, the, like, the, the, the woman's, like, daughter, and he has to impress her and, like, you know, like, pay, like, a dowry. Uh, but he doesn't really have all the means, and then, well, he does business with this other dude that's not waju and they call those Alijunas. Wait, what's that? Alijunas. Like, that's the term that they use. They're, they don't really translate it, not even in the in the subtitles. Um, but, yeah, they're basically people that are not waju.
1: I'm assuming not a term of endearment.
3: No, I don't think so. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're just, like, yeah, I guess they're, like, not wajus like, foreigns or something like that. Um, but, yeah, they, he makes, he has this friend who's an Alijuna. they make business, and for a reason of another, they end up, like, <laughs> in the wheat trade, and they start exporting, so there's a lot of income <laughs> coming in. Mm-hmm. But um, it's all interesting on how a, all that life, like, starts clashing with the traditional, like, way of living and even though like there's like a profit coming in like there's also like shady stuff in between like of course there's it's illegal but other than that like it's also like who do they buy from like how do they buy how do they move things and there's a disruption between like the traditional and like and like the modern style eh, like living at the moment and also it's called birds of the passage because the birds are very symbolic Um, So there are many different birds. I don't really know the species of the birds. Like, I can't recall them. But they all mean different things. Hmm. And it's really linked to how, like, the traditional culture, like, how the Wajus, like, actually, like, see nature and talk to nature and see the world in a very different way, I guess, their own way. Hmm. Um, And it's also really and they and they have their own like practices and their own like there's like elements of like surreal things and for instance like um reading dreams and you know like things that are different and they're so unique to themselves mm-hmm. but once everything starts getting messy i don't want to give like way too much away cuz like it's it's really cool to watch the build up um but yeah as it's as the problems like start escalating you realize like how the culture like slowly starts like well not not necessarily like decaying but it's definitely weaker and they all feel it they're all like oh we can't i don't know uh, look at the dream anymore we we can't Mm -hmm. tell what it's saying or yeah things like that and then there's all like the nature like premonitions it is. It's really, really good. Like it's it re- it's really good storytelling, and it's, and it's the type of story that you don't you don't really have to know too much about the context to enjoy it and to understand like what it really wants to say. So, yeah, yeah I would suggest. Really <laughs> and that's still <laughs> on at Van City. Yeah, <clears throat> it's still on this week. I think today and tomorrow actually there's there are shows. Yeah. 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 Sounds yeah. like it's worth checking out. Uh, Van City is sure. also
0: coming up with a lot of. Good stuff. I mean, they always have good stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Event City is always a fun place to support. Uh, as a reminder that they are basically a, a non for profit organization. No, they are a non for profit organization. Like they don't.
1: <laughs> they run VIF. Let's yeah. uh, let's let's put it mm-hmm. that way. Um, but, but they uh, they yeah. they have some great programming. Like again, a movie like Ruben Brandt Collector. Did, did we talk about that last year? that I don't think so. acid trip of a movie that's kind of like what would happen if you let Salvador Dali have final cut on an Archer movie. <laughs> like I saw that at Van City and that was really interesting. It's mind skeweringly weird, but it's I'm glad that it's there and it's a recent release too by this bizarre Slovenian man. Um <clears throat> and I just enjoy that that is coming here because especially with There's a lot of really great international cinema, evidently. Well, this really does prove that from a lot of places. And I think that's definitely good to emphasize. sure. Even the
3: trailers were their own, like, trip. I was like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, like, like what
1: was in there this time around? Like, there's, I remember, well, actually, kind of the opposite of international cinema. But they're doing the American Songbook on film. That was interesting. Uh, I remember they're doing some interesting uh, Chinese film, I think. Yeah. Uh, for this uh, director's uh, yeah, retrospective. It was something about, like,
3: Desires,
0: I think. Yeah, I they're doing a few um, on their website.
1: Jia Zhangke. Gia,
0: yeah, they're doing Still Life, Ash is the Purest White, Unknown Pleasures. That one, Unknown Platform. Pleasures. Mm-hmm. Pickpocket, The World, um, Mountains Made Apart, so uh, several um, that are going on for this week and next week.
1: It's actually adjacent to Van City. This occurs to me. One thing that we might have on our next show is um, a review of uh, something Vancouver Bach Choirs doing. S- not necessarily similar, but Van City's done some opera coverage, so I'm going to assume there's a link here.
2: <laughs> Why not? They actually have.
1: They did uh, like think La Traviata a little bit oh, ago. Oh, that's,
3: that's nice. good.
1: Yeah, like they did because like, they do the thing. This is so I might be moving to Ottawa in a little while. Ottawa lost its opera house recently, but Ottawa is probably the biggest audience for televised opera in Canada.
2: Oh, really? Wow.
1: Yeah, because I think there's a lot of, like, my brother's... In laws, for example, Mm -hmm. like they get the Met Opera on the television and they quite enjoy it, and that's I think I've I've heard more about that in Ottawa than anywhere else. So there's definitely a certain demand for it. That's cool. That demand is proportionate to the general age of opera enthusiasts. Yeah, that's Um, fair. Fair, but it's it's interesting to think about. It that way because there's also like the stage productions. Like I remember when I first started out here about four years ago, you saw Benedict Cumberbatch as Hamlet
2: what? Uh, wow. on the big that's screen. A, oh my god! Interesting. Wait, that's in a opera. concept. No,
1: not not an opera. Uh, the 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 stage play. Uh, the same way you can find David Tennant as Benedict in Much Ado About Nothing, which I really yeah. really like.
0: Wait, uh, is that the guy that also directed? Like G- Gildry Lockhart, like that guy.
1: Oh, Kenneth Branagh. It- <laughs> I don't know if it, I don't know if it was Kenneth Branagh who directed it, but his Winter's Tale was in that theater. Because I know he
0: also did a version of um, Much Ado About Nothing, where he played Benedict and directed. Yes, it, and that's an amazing version. Yeah, of I've
1: seen that film. <laughs> I was so good. I was gonna do. Uh, Kenneth Branagh was gonna be my Facebook profile picture for a while from Much Ado About Nothing because he's also just an exuberant blonde guy. Uh, I, I really like Much Ado About Nothing. It is my favorite Shakespeare play, and that version of Much Ado About Nothing still gives me a lot of joy.
0: It's it's great, and the the woman Beatrice is I don't know like I only Emma found out yeah, but at the same time, like I know who she is. But my first memory of her is Nanny McPhee. Same, <laughs> exactly. love actually same. for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I was a child when I started watching Love. <laughs> I wasn't gonna watch Love actually as a kid. <laughs> she's, she's, she's true. She's pretty great though.
1: Like she's great in much ado about nothing. Like yeah, she's amazing. I think
3: she's also in Sense and Sensibility. Was she? I,
1: th- I, I haven't think seen so. that movie.
3: I haven't seen it either. Um, but I, I we, think she's there too.
1: Like she was not in Nosferatu, which is what the Vancouver Guback <laughs> Pro- Choir is scoring. To get back to that. At least I assume not, Either that, her career has been a lot longer than I thought. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Vancouver Bach Choir this Saturday is doing, I think it is just a one-time show, a uh, live scoring, a specialized scoring of the, uh, it's Murnau, yeah, it's F.W. Murnau's uh, horror film Nosferatu, uh, to bring the Germans back into it. Uh, like Nosferatu is like a really iconic movie, like for... Cena.
0: As the first vampire,
1: yeah, movie like the first ever. Max Shrek, uh,
0: was it the first? Yeah, probably. It, it was because it was like the first idea of what a vampire was like, and then we became, and then like the comparison is like nowadays. Edward Cullen. <laughs> Even the comparison to Bela Lugosi. Twilight.
1: Like, think about Like, Bela Lugosi is like Dracula for so long. He's suave. He's stately. Count Orlok is a nightmarish creep with saber-toothed teeth jutting out of his face. And he's,
0: he's bald and, like, kind of like... A-
1: bald, hunched, hunched. goblinoid <laughs> with these long claws. Incidentally, when this movie was made, the Nazi party was rising in power, and there's an unfortunate thought that Murnau had afterwards that he realized that he made the villain an anemic, aristocratic person who lives among rats and hungers for the blood of Germans.
0: Yeah, yeah um, Murnau fled great.
1: Germany because... I believe I, I believe his wife was Jewish, and he afterwards he noticed, huh? Interesting how that one got received. <laughs> but he did he did joke about that. I did, the, I, I don't think Nosferatu is intended that way, yeah. at least explicitly. But you know, it's what is around at that time. If
0: you want to see a different breed on Nosferatu check out this award-winning film it actually did win awards and i love this film um my roommate hates me for making it me her watch it with me but what we do in the shadows yeah <laughs> which is <laughs> what a you mockument- <laughs> yeah it's a mockumentary yeah. about three vampires and how they live their lives in the 21st century and oh it's absolutely hilarious and the most almost trashy way because each of them have their own like very different personality so they take all these like ideas of vampires from the different films mm-hmm. and like bring them together so there's Nosferatu I believe they don't mm-hmm. actually use the n- same names but like there's Nosferatu yeah. and then there's like the Dracula which is like yeah. very no. and then like and Rice like two in there <laughs> it's very
1: funny it's the same <laughs> people <laughs> who made Flight of the Concords, I think like Jemaine Clement's in it and I'm pretty sure, like, it's, it's also um, their agent from Flight of the Concords is the werewolf.
0: Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah, that movie's crazy. <laughs> but if you don't like that kind of weird humor, you'll be disappointed.
1: <laughs> with, like, with, with, I think, like, but watching, knowing what Nosferatu is, for example, you would need to have some awareness of it to get a lot of the gags about, because there's a lot of those inside jokes in that one that are about, kind of about how being a vampire has evolved in fiction. Yeah. There's been a lot of weird turns with that like from Nosferatu to Dracula to I guess to the Hammer films kind of then like to Anne Rice and then to well Twilight and now post Twilight. Yeah. Like 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 we're at we're at an interesting
3: post Twilight phase.
1: Kind of, yeah.
3: Uh, it's really funny. Call it the 50 like... shades of
1: gray phase. <laughs>
0: Uh, it's really funny how we actually, I was actually studying this in one of my classes, I can't remember which one, about horror and how horror films evolved based on society's what's wrong with society. So, like, for a really long time, vampire films were really popular because mm-hmm. it was a way to, like, have that one person have the blame. And nowadays, zombies yeah. films are really popular because we're more concerned with, like, this mass... Um, endocrinization rather than anything else. And it kind of, like, is really interesting to see how horror films' uh, popularity changed throughout the ages, you know?
1: Well, it's also worth noting that zombie movies became popular. Like, Day of the Dead came out in the late 60s, and the Hammer films were sort of an early 60s thing is when they ended. And then Vampires came back, but sexy. Which is that's got,
0: still weird. But that's where you got <laughs> Anne
1: Rice. They glowed up. <laughs> like, that's bit... But before that, like, that's Anne Rice. It's like Interview with a Vampire. Like, that book is still kind of a punchline a little bit for a lot of reasons, but that was, like, vampires are now a sexy first property. <laughs> and then you have... And like... then we have sexy werewolves.
0: Like, with Teen Wolf, or then in the oh, 80s. Okay, here's okay. the thing about that. <laughs> okay. I do
1: just want to ask this, because that's <laughs> that's <a> point, <laughs> as somebody whose full name is Jacob, I'm distinctly aware of the phenomenon. Um, however... Uh, when you're talking about sexy werewolves, I get that they're human most of the time, but like there's you're veering into the like there's a bestiality question somewhere in there. I was
3: thinking that like there's some there's some blurs. <laughs>
1: but when you right realize there. that, you also realize that with vampires it's necrophilia. So
3: sad. <laughs> I,
0: don't know. I, I think that's the the right appropriate reaction. It's like
3: uh, <laughs> okay, that's a very interesting. <laughs>
1: Well, it's, I remember reading about, like, the original mythology pre-Bram Stoker, and the vampires mm. would be more like a zombie. They would just look like an actual corpse bleeding from the mouth trying to grab people. And it's worth noting, in the United States, there was a belief that tuberculosis caused vampirism until the 1890s. But there's actually
0: a disease that's where vampirism, like, v- vampires come, like inspiration comes from called porphyria yeah because it makes your your teeth um glow in the dark and you like you're very sensitive to sunlight like you get blisters with the sunlight Mm -hmm. and there's something that goes purple and i can't remember exactly what
1: careful
3: (laughs) and where does garlic come in the mix oh no
0: that's just something oh oh because in that disease as well you got a really sensitive like really sensitive stomach
3: yeah,
1: that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. I mean this is the thing. There's a movie, there's a really great movie I love called Blood for Dracula. The plot of also known as Andy Warhol's Dracula, the plot of which is quite literally Dracula in this universe can only feed on the blood of virgins, so he goes to Italy and starves to death. Oh, damn. <laughs> well. That that's literally the plot. Well, he doesn't starve to death per se. I think his ending is actually kinda of close to the Black Knight and Monty Python, but that's the gimmick in the movie. And I, I just remember, from the movie, there's this there's this really terrific moment where, because um, he's not, like, an imposing guy, he's really ill, and he's in a wheelchair all the time because he needs blood, and apparently that's difficult. <laughs> and then there's the movement where his assistant, who is a German man, an actor who could not look more German or sound more German than anybody else, he goes, we're going through Italy. They need virgins for their marriages. I'm like, yes! Yes, Italian Catholic upbringing! Uh, yes. Uh, isn't that right, Madonna Ciccone? Yes, that is entire cast of the Jersey Shore. Right! That's going to pan out. And, uh, but what I just, the, the thing about that, that I, oh, I, I lost it. What was it? Oh, yeah, there's, I saw a meme using the picture from this movie saying, our. Anti-vampire rules, just anti-Italian rules. <laughs> I can't go in the sun? I can't eat garlic? What the hell? <laughs>
0: Interesting. But on a shifting completely our subjects, because we've been on vampires for too long. That's right. <laughs> uh, Joni Mitchell. We do have, a, yeah, it's another shout out. Aww. Yeah, do you want to... Mm.
1: That's to the, that the Surrey Civic Theater is, Surrey Civic Theater, Thuffering, Thucatash, Uh is hosting uh, 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 Meredith K. Clark, performing Joni Mitchell's Blue, I believe in its entirety. That's coming yes. up pretty soon, On too. March
0: 27th, 2019, uh, at 7.30 p.m. on the main stage of the Surrey Arts Center. Mm. And
1: um, I think... Just on this, like I think when we did the Circle Game review, I think everybody should listen to Joni Mitchell's Blue at least once. Yeah. So there, you got a you got a full shot. So at, what,
0: at actually listening to it. Yeah, live. It, it's a
1: difficult album to perform, so it, it's going to be interesting to look at there. Um, Do we
0: have anything else? We no, I think we're good. Want a shout out? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So check out these pl- awesome place. Um, we are happy to be here <laughs> yeah. that we are <laughs> but keep on chugling i'm not really okay i've never ended the show before so i'm not really sure what to say so i'm just gonna wing it um thank you so much <laughs> for listening <laughs> i'm lua
1: i'm jake
3: i'm Silvana. i'm sarah
0: and you've been listening to the arts report uh, here at citr thank you so much and let me oh my god I don't know how to do this. Uh.
1: Just let it happen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let, the, let the computer operate. They'll eventually overdo this.
0: <laughs> cool. Bye, guys. See you next week. Ciao.